You're listening to the Games Retreat Opera's microcast, recorded on Thursday, the 17th of August, 2023. I'm James Batchelor, and I'm joined today by... Jeffrey Russo. And Brendan Sinclair. Two stories we're going to be talking about today. The main one is the Xbox enforcement system that they have introduced. So Microsoft announced this earlier this week, uh, I believe it was like yesterday, day before yesterday, and... Um, they're introducing a strikes style system. Strikes kind of like getting points on your driver's license, like certain uh, violations of their their community standards, their code of conduct will earn you strikes on your record, as it were, different number of strikes for different types of incidents. Um, and this all results in suspension from online services. So a few details. So. As examples that have been given in the last couple of days, profanity earns you one strike, bullying, harassment, two strikes, hate speech, three strikes. Um, suspensions will be automatically triggered based on the number of strikes you've got on your record. That will suspend you from online services such as multiplayer, messaging, parties and party chat. You will be able to play your um, games on a single player game. You'll be able to access purchased games, although they do say again that if you're a, if it's a, like illegal activity, they retain the right to ban you and cut you off from your purchased games. The suspensions vary from uh, two strikes will automatically get you a one day suspension. Four strikes will get you seven days. Eight strikes will get you a year's suspension. Strikes stay on your record for six months, obviously they top up. Um, there's been a lot of debate around this as to whether or not it's, they're aiming for kind of here, this, this nice transparent system. This is exactly how it works. And therefore you now know how to behave. Um, there's a lot of people who think this is too lenient, and I'm keen to get your thoughts, gentlemen. Um, so when reporting this, one of the things that really stood out to both Brendan and I was that stat line that uh, Dave um, McCarthy shared, the uh, corporate vice president of Xbox Player Services, um, speaking to The Verge, when he shared that um, uh, up till then, 1% of uh, the Xbox user base received any kind of enforcement and then one third of that one percentage received any other you know actions right so that's not a good stat line that is very not good right so the the immediate thought i had was you know clearly up to this point you've you've clearly had some degree of moderation in how you've handled these things and I'm really wondering why did it take so long? In you, you know, because Xbox, um, like so many other companies, you know, they have access to data of harassment and you know reinforcement, what have you. Uh, so I'm I'm really wondering why was that? Why is that being rolled out in the year of uh, 2023, especially after the summer is over? Which I think is another point because I bring that up because you know kids are back in school. Um, so again, you know, I'm just I'm trying to wonder why was this not. I uh, why didn't it come about in the last console generation? You know what I mean. That that's my biggest question, um, as of right now. Yeah, like you mentioned, Jeffrey, that that point uh, three three percent, the one third of one percent, is like the the number of people that actually are repeat offenders on on Xbox Live, and that's just like two times. If if and they're they're giving you eight strikes here to work with and every six months your strikes get expunged from the record so you have um a third of a percent that ever ever are repeat offenders and then however many less from that are repeat offenders to the degree that they are accumulating eight strikes 
and and it could be like you know a um some some comment offhand might be like just one strike but hate speech is two or three uh so you can you can get multiple strikes at a time but how how many people are are going out there and getting getting hit with these bans for for multiple strikes at a time and then also doing that enough times in a row within six months to to hit that threshold and and it just really becomes clear that that number of people uh is vanishingly small by the time i think you get to the eight strikes point especially since uh six months is like 180 days right I added up the suspension list because it escalates with the first strike. It's like one day and then it's two days and then it's five days, you know, things like that. If you were to get one strike at a time, add those up and it's already 107 days of suspensions along the path to getting your eighth strike. And, you know, you have 180 days to get your eight strikes. So I think most people... Uh, are, are going to have some of their earlier strikes phase out before they can, you know, manage, <laughs> before they can be awful enough to actually trigger this thing. So it's the, the eight strike threshold, I, I feel like, oh, and you can appeal your strikes too, so they can reduce them on appeal or, or eliminate them entirely. So I feel like we're bending over backwards to keep these repeat offenders who have you know, shown themselves to like almost have to work at getting banned here and mm. at, at, you know, like for what? Cause, um, the, the ADL had a survey, anti-defamation league had a survey on toxic behavior in gaming communities a couple times, 2021, I think was the, the most recent I saw. And it said, um, 27% of survey respondents had stopped playing a game because of disruptive behavior from other players that they had encountered online. And that was like within the past six months of the survey. So we're, we're basically like putting a quarter of the player base at risk of just, you know, being sick of the game and walking away because of toxic mm -hmm. player behavior in order to cater to this fraction of a fraction of a fraction of of the player base that that just does not seem to get it and continuously comes back with toxic behavior and it and it just it 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 boggles the mind that these these companies even if they're not concerned about like doing the right thing and creating a healthy environment for people that they aren't looking at this just from a pure dollars and cents perspective of these jerks are costing us money by driving away our player base. So Rob Fahey, our contributing editor, he's writing a column on this tomorrow, um, talking not just about this system, but also just moderation and, and enforcement in general. And he says, well, at least in the draft he's sent me so far, he says um, that the only truly effective countermeasure is things like just complete, like, you know, cutting people off voice communication or any form of communication, because obviously that's... It, it's. It's messages between players, it's interactions between players that is, is the issue here. But that places constraints on multiplayer design because multiplayer games you know, require teams to coordinate 
um, or at least to kind of you know inform each other what's going on. Um, exactly, yeah, that's why we're seeing things like um, you know respawns Apex Legends with this ping system. Like more and more multiplayer games have got non-verbal ways of communicating to your team and coordinating your team. And I see his point. I do see his point. Like you know the if you keep just silencing these players, it makes it hard to coordinate. But I think having a safe environment for people to play multiplayer on is much more important than whether or not you're going to win at Call of Duty. Yeah, we haven't designed our, our games to uh, minimize harassment and toxic behavior. In a lot, a lot of ways, they've kind of, you know, been designed to empower them. And and part of that is, is sort of inherent, I think, to... Um, you know deeply competitive games you're 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 gonna get some uh people that that take that too far and we have a treehouse games interview up this this week where they talk about that and why they're doing specifically uh cooperative uh modes with their crafting survival game but uh i i I think we've also been kind of leaning into this for for decades like when xbox live first came out and consoles you know suddenly had a centralized online play system um it was it was instantly known as a toilet just everyone was like oh you're on xbox live okay that equals racist <laughs> that equals not not you being racist but you're encountering racism and and sexism and just awful stuff every time you go online and and with the uh, xbox 360 even like Microsoft understood that and I think it was sort of an attempt to course correct but you know like a really feeble one because they let people pick on their profiles their gamer zone and they could pick recreation uh just there for fun family I you know don't want anyone to be swearing or anything like that pro I'm I'm competitive at these games you know and, and I don't want to be paired with you know, newbies or whatever, and then underground. And the the quote that they used was like, "The underground is where anything goes, and usually does." <laughs> and 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 they actually put like a radioactive warning symbol on their on their description page about like what what to expect from the underground. Underground here, it's it's toxic. Clearly, like that is the one thing that we want you. So, so they're like. They put it there to try and cordon off these people from the rest of the community. But one, you know, the the enjoyment they get from whatever trolling or abuse is, is because they're trolling or abusing people who haven't opted into it uh, in a lot of cases. And then the other, like, if you have if you have a section of your online service that is like, okay, here's where to go to just be horribly awful that tells people being horribly awful on the online service is acceptable at least in you know in some cases in some places so like we've gaming is has done a miserable job historically i think of of trying to emphasize and clean up um their online communities and i i think companies are finally you know they've, they've come around on this and they understand like oh that's not good and we should 
we should fix that because it is limiting the uh, upside potential because there's a whole lot of the population that just doesn't want to, you know, put their head in the toilet like that for some reason. And uh, but this is a problem that, you know, we let fester for too long and now it's almost intractable. Like, you know, gaming culture is, is just so far down this road that it's just unnatural for people to be asked to like not not put up with to not be in an environment like this and then now we're i think the only way really is to design your games around it to put these constraints in around multiplayer around voice chat uh, around things like that and, and you wind up with something like journey or you know apex legends as as an example of something that you can do to help the problem but you know not quite fix it um, but yeah, I, I think just, we need to understand that you can do things without like, like voice chat is not, you know, a right and it's convenient, but there's a lot of stuff that's convenient and, um, profitable, but really if we can't be doing it in a proper and ethical way, you really should not be doing it at all. And, and I feel like, uh, a lot of the online gaming functionality and gaming communities is is really sort of i don't know i'm at the point now where i'm 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 a lot more inclined to just say you know what if people if this is an avenue for people to abuse others then we should figure out a way um to not leave that avenue open to brendan's point about you know absolutely companies um have been lagging and doing better with um um curtailing you know the behaviors and attitudes of what's of toxicity that's going on in online communities uh while writing the story the day after you know i also remember that xbox uh, also is going to implement you know a voice reporting safety feature as well so you know that's that's again something's like that's a good idea but why is it 10 years too late you know type of thing um you know i was also thinking about that but while Brendan was um, sharing a lot of those uh, opinions regarding this, which I also feel as well, I th- I think about something that happened during the height of the pandemic. I still remember this because it went viral. I remember reading how this uh, professional from a completely different field, they just decided, you know what, I, I think I just want to own a console. And I- I'm pretty sure they-, they bought a PlayStation. I know that's different, but, you know, they, you know, they said that, you know, I kind of looked in things, I got a console, what have you. And they were very, very surprised that as soon as they went um, online, how toxic and and sexist and racist it was and how open it was. They were very taken aback by this. They're like, I don't understand, you know, a lot of businesses and industries and what have you have like safeguards in place. And that was their biggest, you know, um, thing. And just to go back to this current conversation, you know, these these implementations, as great as they are, they really do feel like 10, 15 years too late. And that's really how I feel. I'm intrigued to see going forward how much Microsoft will include, well, how much they will reveal about um, what they're doing with this system. So 
Microsoft is trying to portray itself with a very kind of um, an air of transparency. They've actually been posting uh, transparency reports every six months on how many enforcements have been taken, how many reports have been gathered, how much automated moderation is helping, etc. I'm intrigued to see like future versions of those reports to see how they incorporate the strike system, how many strikes are dished out, how many strikes are, are dished out, you know, multiple strikes at a time, how many suspensions have actually been triggered and see if this isn't actually effective be uh, interesting to see. Other story we wanted to talk about today was um, the Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 reveal. Now we are a couple of hours ahead of the reveal as we record. Um, not going to talk about the content of the game itself because frankly I don't care. But I'm intrigued by... Um, it, it, it threw up a few questions for me about the future of Call of Duty going forward. So last year it was reported by reputable reporters that Activision wasn't going to release a Call of Duty in 2023. Activision corrected this and said, no, we still have a premium release planned for, you know, the usual autumn slot in, or sorry, fall slot in 2023, although there's no kind of more information on that. A report emerged earlier this year that it was going to essentially be an expansion to Modern Warfare 2, but not necessarily Modern Warfare 3. It wasn't going to be quite a fully fledged game. Activision have now announced that it is actually Modern Warfare 3. And that it's um, you know it's full price seventy dollars game, new campaign, largest zombie offering ever, um, ability to carry stuff over from Modern Warfare Two, etc. We get more information when the actual reveal comes out. What I'm intrigued about is um, they said in a blog post this morning, or rather last night, that the plan to do kind of back to back Modern Warfare releases has been years in the making. Were the words they use? So. Sledgehammer has been working with Infinity Ward on doing a direct sequel to Modern Warfare 2 from the beginning of Modern Warfare 2's development, according to this press release, according to the PR. I'm intrigued because that represents a shift in how Call of Duty is developed. Historically, it has always alternated between two sub-brands. When it was on a two-year development cycle, it alternated between two sub-brands, whatever Treyarch was working on, and then whatever Infinity Ward was working on. With Sledgehammer in the mix, they moved to a three-year cycle, um, so it was all you know, rotating over three years. Sledgehammer's last ones uh, were the two World War II ones, so Call of Duty World War II and Call of Duty Vanguard. Vanguard struggled. That's what prompted the reports of they're going to take a year out and work out, rework out their their approach to Call of Duty. Um, I'm intrigued because, like, basically the way that this is all set up, it looks like they're focusing purely on Warzone, which is their free-to-play one, Modern Warfare which is a very popular one. I think, pers personally, I think, still carrying on the uh, the prestige of the original Modern Warfare trilogy, which was always the most successful, um, or some of the most successful Call of Duties, and then Black Ops, obviously. Because all their previous attempts, the last four attempts to create a new sub-brand to go alongside Modern Warfare and um, Black Ops have failed. Infinite Warfare, Advanced Warfare, Ghosts did not get follow-ups. The World War II games, they've had two, but from the sound, yeah, you know, but we were going to be due a Sledgehammer World War II game this year. The fact they're not doing it suggests they've perhaps retired that brand. I'm just intrigued to see where Call of Duty goes if it becomes reliant on two sub-series again, but you can't produce sequels every single year unless they're doing what they've done here. I'm stumbling here. I'm basically very confused as to what's happening with Call of Duty. No, well, you're not alone. <laughs> um, it's... It, the, I can't imagine that Infinity Ward is terribly happy about having Sledgehammer come in and do Modern Warfare 3. 
Um, I, maybe I'm wrong, but you know, from what I heard, you know, years ago, that there, there was sort of a competitive uh, environment within the Call of Duty studios, um, particularly between you know Treyarch's Black Ops and Infinity Ward's um, Modern Warfare. And and Sledgehammer was always, always sort of the um, third wheel there, I guess, with their, and, and their their series, their games haven't performed as well as the other two studios, and I don't know how much of that was down to like the studio doesn't make the Call of Duty formula as well, versus how much was like well they were kind of stuck with uh, settings and themes for the games that aren't as popular as black ops or modern warfare so on the one hand it'll be interesting to see if they do any better with with one of the big brands uh at their back but you know they're they're also kind of like the the, this this game has a lot of asterisks around it it feels like between the reporting and that you know like oh it's not going to happen at all it'll happen but it's modern warfare 2 expansion and then activision being like no no it's it's totally modern warfare 3 and it's the real deal and this is this is the thing that the blog post does the blog post doesn't specifically address the reports but it does come with the undertone of no really please pay 70 dollars for this yeah and it's going to be you know, interesting to see if they do. Like I, I've been, I've been expecting Call of Duty to have, you know, peaked and been going through a managed decline for about a decade and change now, and it just hasn't really happened. So while I look at this and say like, mm, I don't, I don't know, if this is going to go great. I don't, I don't see a whole lot of great things for Call of Duty's future here. Um, that's the way I've felt for years, and I've been wrong about it for years. So. <laughs> um, yeah, don't listen to me on, on whether or not this is going to do well. So, you know, when you read a blog post, it's giving you the bullet points to say, hey, it's a sequel. Hey, uh, you can uh, carry over progression to Modern Warfare 2 and 3. Uh, zombies, you know, everyone loves that, right? And that's what it's reading like. And then also, you know, it it's saying that, um, hey, you know, we're going to have uh, post-launch content and all that. And that's all fine. But ultimately, I guess we have to see where, you know, players will be receptive to whatever they, um, you know, show, reveal, trailers, what have you. And again, it, it is, I always think about, and a point I was making is about when you have so few eggs in your basket, but it's such a giant machine, you know, how innovative can you <laughs> seemingly be? And how receptive are is your fan base to that, you know? But hey, this is one of the largest, you know, entertainment brands out there, so it'll be mm. interesting to see. That is my last thought. Like, Activision is is reliant on annual Call of Duty releases at full price. It's, it's just entire publishing business it is reliant on that fact. Certainly, the Activision part of the business, and then, you know supported by King and, and the ongoing success of Candy Crush, but the overall business must be somewhat reliant on that annual Call of Duty boost every uh, every November. Once they're owned by Microsoft, will they be as reliant on it? 
I don't know. I'm going to leave that question hanging there as we wrap up because that is all we've got time for. Um, thank you so much for joining us. We've got a Playable Futures podcast tomorrow, the last Playable Futures podcast, uh, and then we'll be back next week with more microcasts. It's Gamescom next week, so we'll likely have some reactions from Opening Night Live if anything gets announced and uh, certainly what people are talking about. Thank you so much for joining us. You can find all previous microcasts and podcasts and Playable Futures podcasts on the podcasting platform of your choice, all on the same GameStreet.biz feed, and you can find more news, insight and analysis into the world behind video games at gamesindustry.biz. 